Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Mark, chapter 1. And what we're going to be doing over the next five days in Vacation Bible School is that we're going to be following the life of one of Jesus' apostles. And it's the life of Peter as we follow him literally from the moment he meets Jesus until he is being faithful in building the church of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts. And when you study the life of Peter, he is an interesting figure. As I've said before, Peter is the guy that we often think of as the man born with a foot-shaped mouth. Right? That his foot always seemed to be right there. That he always was the one that would jump out and say something inappropriate or wrong. Or that he would be the one that would try things that the other apostles wouldn't. He's the guy that I get this picture that the apostles sit around and they're talking and somebody really needs to talk to Jesus about that. Somebody really needs to have a conversation with him. And everybody looks around, well, who's going to do that? And everybody goes, Peter. You ever been a part of one of those meetings? Well, we've got to talk to somebody about that. I mean, somebody has got to go. Some, some of you may have had a meeting. Some of them have got to go. Somebody's going to talk to the pastor about this. Well, who's going to? Well, I'm not going to do it. Well, he can do it. You know the easiest way to get elected as a committee chairman in a Baptist church, don't you? Yeah, don't show up for the meeting. That's it. Peter was the guy that he kind of volunteered. I, I can imagine they would say, who would want to do it? And Peter would say, well, I'll do it. And they'll say, all right, go for it. And what we see in the life of Peter, though, is an interesting progression because if you follow Peter all the way from his first encounter with Jesus through his life to when he's writing First and Second Peter, what you find is a man that really grew in the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and in the way that should impact our lives. Now, all week we have a VBS motto, and it's a simple motto, and I'm going to teach it to you today. Some of you are going to get a chance to come to Vacation Bible School. That's your loss. I know some of you have to work. I understand that. I'm sorry for you. But all week we're going to be talking about three things. And I want you to repeat them after me. Follow. Okay, that wasn't very good. Repeat them after me. Follow. Worship. Live through Him. If you want to write down the three points of my sermon today, there they are. Follow, worship, live through Him. And this morning, we are going to do a mini-study of the life of Peter. Because what I think those three things, and I don't know if the people that wrote the VBS material intended it this way or not, I'll ask Landry sometime. But really, those are the three steps to living a Christian life that is fulfilling and the abundant life promised in John chapter 10. And there are progressive steps. We must first decide to follow. Once we decide to follow, we come into an understanding of exactly who it is that we have chosen to follow, and then we eventually let him live through us. And when you reach that last step and allow Jesus to really live through you, you are making an impact for the kingdom of God. Now, the truth is, sometimes in our walk, we go back and forth on steps. There are times when you say, 
man, I've really gotten it this week, and I'm worshiping the Lord, and I'm beginning to let Him live through me, and then something happens, time or whatever, and before long you find yourself at a level of commitment that is short of where you once were. And so this morning my goal is to ask you where you are and if you would allow the Lord to move you along your journey in this Christian life. The first step is we've got to decide to follow. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. Mark's one of those interesting books of the Bible where he doesn't give real time reference. He just says immediately or following that or right after. But in verse 14, he says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. It's an amazing little short story. Now, from the other Gospels, we realize that this was not the first time that Simon, Peter, had encountered Jesus, more than likely. I mean, there's one depiction, and this could become before or after, but there's a depiction of Jesus going to Simon's house and healing mother-in-law and then all kinds of people coming and being healed. There's the depiction of Jesus casting out after he was preaching, and they pull the, the fish in. You know what I'm talking about. They cast out, and Peter says, we've been casting out. There's nothing out there. Jesus cast out, just humor me, and they can't even pull the nets in. The point is that there comes a point When Jesus, no matter how familiar you are with him, no matter how many times you've encountered him, no matter how many times you've read about him, there comes a point when Jesus requests something very simple of you. And it's two words, and it is this, follow me. What Jesus is asking for here is an initial commitment to him. Now, the scripture doesn't give us what they say, does it? No. I'll help you out there. You look like you're a little slow this morning. No. The Scripture doesn't tell us what it says. It just says that they got up and followed him. But I began to think about the only response to that question is, follow me is either yes or no. And I began to think about those two words and the implications they have. I mean, when Jesus says, follow me, he's asking an awful lot of these men, isn't he? I mean, these guys are out fishing. He asked them to follow him. What's he asking them to do about fishing? Give it up. Now, I know that some of you in here have had conversations with me about how excited you are about the church and what God is doing in the church and where you see this church going. But can you imagine me walking into your business and saying, by the way, God has spoken to me and he tells me you need to quit your job right now and just start serving him. What am I going to do? I don't know. Just quit and let's go. Well, well Pastor, let, let me let me get a couple of things. I, I've got to give like a, 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 a eight month notice somewhere. Jesus walks up and says, "Follow me." Does he tell them what they're going to be doing? Well, kinda. Fishers of men. That's kind of vague, though, isn't it? And I got to thinking about small words that get us into big commitment. Like, whatever you need, call me if you need me. 
Sure, I'll do it. But simply the words, I do. Amen? Those are pretty simple words, right? But in a certain context, they bring great commitment. Now, while it seems like such a simple thing, just follow me, those words carry great significance. One of the reasons that I believe so strongly in Vacation Bible School is because all of the research show that it is still, by far, the number one evangelism tool in the church. By far. In fact, uh, one recent report I showed said that 40 to 45% of baptisms in Southern Baptist churches come because of Vacation Bible School. Now, that probably says a whole lot more about our outreach and our evangelism than we wanted to say because we're putting all our stuff in one week. But I believe in it because it makes the gospel simple. And you cannot get more simple than Jesus looking at some men and saying, follow me. And the first step in any commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ is just a simple response of yes to that call. Now, some of you in this room may be good church members, may be on the roll, may have been in Sunday school, may have worked in the church. But the truth is you have never responded yes to the simple call of follow me. And I want to tell you that you will never come close to experiencing the life that Jesus Christ has for you until you make the initial commitment to Him. And some of you this morning, whether you're 10 years old or you're 90 years old, may be hearing again the call from Jesus to just follow Him. Now let me ask you this question. What in your life is preventing you from doing that? Peter didn't care about his job. Apparently his family was was not the major concern on his mind. His well-being, his welfare, his money, his security, his safety, he left it all behind to follow this rabbi that was teaching in a new way. What is it in your life that prevents you from following Jesus. You remember the rich young ruler, don't you? Comes to Jesus, what do I need to do in eternal life? Yeah, well, you just got to keep the commands. Well, I've done all that. What else? And he says, all right, give up everything you got, sell it, give it to the poor, and follow me. And it says in Scripture, the man walked away sad. What's preventing you from following Jesus? Here's the second thing. After we learn to follow him, the next step is to learn to worship him. Take your Bibles and turn just a few pages over to Mark chapter 9. It's always good to hear those Bibles turning. Mark chapter 9. And starting in verse 2, we're going to see an amazing moment in the life of Peter. Now, between where we were and where we are now, Peter has seen some amazing stuff. Some quite amazing stuff. Some stuff that would blow us away. I mean, we mentioned he saw Jesus healing all kinds of people. Casting out demons. He's seen Jesus challenge the Pharisees in their teaching. 
particularly about the Sabbath. We've seen his teaching that it tells us in Scripture that they say no one has ever taught like this man teaches. He saw Jesus calm a storm, stand out, say, wind, waves, quit. And they quit. Jesus spoke and it happened. He saw Jesus raise people from the dead. He saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with just some bread and some fish. And then, not only did he see Jesus walk on the water, he actually walked on the water, right? Jesus isn't the only man that ever walked on water, right? Peter got to do it. And so Peter has seen some pretty amazing stuff. Would you consider that amazing? Yes. But what he's about to see supersedes all of that, and it tells us in Scripture, scares him completely. Chapter 9, verse 2. I mentioned Mark doesn't mention time frame very often. When he does, it, it means something. After six days, Jesus took Peter. The reason the six days is important there is because what we're about to see is a kind of... Uh, reliving of when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai and six days of preparation Moses took, six days of preparation Jesus took, but he takes Peter, James, and John with him. Remember, Moses went up by himself, right? To get the tablets and to experience God. Peter, James, and John go with him and they lead him up to a high mountain where they were all alone. Now, why is that important? Because in a minute, they're not going to be all alone. There he was transfigured before them. You know what's interesting about that? The word transfigured means that the outside appearance takes on a different form that comes from what's inside. It is the opposite of hypocrisy or masquerade. Masquerade is when you try to make the outside look good, but it doesn't change the inside, right? Hypocrisy is when you literally put on a mask to look different than you really are. Transfiguration means that something from the inside comes out and displays itself on the outside. So what we have here is Jesus in this moment giving Peter, James, and John a split second or small glimpse into who he really is. Almost as if he's walking around the rest of the time covering it up. And for this moment, it shows out who he is. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I just love that little phrase there. I mean, this isn't like just white stuff. This isn't like get your Clorox out and get your whites out and bleach them. This is like white. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Just one of those kind of interesting things. I've always wondered how they knew it was Elijah and Moses. I mean, I mean, the conversation was good. Did they, did they introduce themselves? Did they have a little time of, hey, G- Jesus saying, Peter, James, and John, I'd like you to meet a couple of my friends here. But whatever it is, they knew who it was. And Peter said to Jesus, and I love this, Rabbi, you know how you know that the Bible isn't all made up? At this moment, Rabbi was not a term that fit. Rabbi means common teacher, wise teacher. At this moment, Jesus was much more than a wise teacher. He was in full glory mode. He was in the kind of mode that you and I will see him when we see him face to face. And he says, it is good for us to be here. What he basically is saying there is, 
I'm glad you brought us. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then I love verse 6. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. What I love about Peter, he never lets not knowing what to say stop him from saying something. Amen? Anybody ever known anybody like that? Don't point. He never lets that stop him. And so here's the scene. Jesus transfigures before him. Suddenly, Peter, James, and John go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Wait a minute. I mean, we've seen him do some big stuff, but this is different altogether. And Peter, now, there are all kinds of interpretations out there, and you can go look them up if you want to, or or write me an email, and I'll, I'll give you some of them about the Festival of the Booze and why the shelters need to be set up. But basically, Peter says, first of all, this is too much for me to handle. Let's set up some shelter so y'all can kind of do your thing there because we're going to need a little break here from what's going on. One of the things that I'm reminded of is when it comes to worship Jesus is that once you decide to follow him, there comes a point in your life when you realize, I knew what my commitment level was there, but I didn't realize how big and mighty and awesome and unbelievable this Jesus is. Ryan mentioned this fact that that one day we're going to rule with him on a new earth given duties by the king about how we're going to take part in helping to extend his rule and reign for all eternity in a perfect manner. We're not talking about just some strong guy. We're talking about the guy that spoke and the world came into existence. We're talking about the one who created all that we see, and he is the one we serve. And in these moments, Peter, James, and John got a brief glimpse into what Jesus truly was. And when that happened, they got so scared, they didn't know what to do. And let me tell you why worship is so dangerous. It's because when you come and truly worship the Lord, you give up all control. At this moment, Peter did not have a clue what to do. He tries to come up with something, but at this moment, he realizes he is completely out of control. You know why I think churches all across America have difficulty worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth is because we as churches have learned how to control things pretty well. And when it's our stuff, we know how to handle it. We know how to handle our orders of service, our songs, our prayers, our nice little sermons. We know how to handle all of that. And if God were begin to break into what we like as our stuff, it would scare us completely because we would give up all control. And here's the real paradox about that. Is that God will not show himself in glory in a mighty way in any place until we're ready to say that we're ready to give up control. And I can tell you that whenever we as a congregation decide that we're ready to give up control, that's when God will do a mighty work in this place. It won't happen until then. But it will happen then. And as individuals in this group, the question you have to ask is, am I willing to worship Him 
to give up all control and let him work. Now the second part of this little worship scene actually kind of bleeds into the third point. But the reason that he wanted to set a boost was, first of all, to kind of guard himself because this is getting a little dangerous, a little scary. I don't know what's going to happen. But secondly, what he was saying is, let's just stay here. Let's set up some booths, some tents. Let's, let's put up some housing for you because what's happening right now, this is better than being down there with the other apostles. I mean, I, I like some of the other apostles, but it's Jesus and Elijah and Moses. Let's just stay here on the mountaintop for a while. Have you ever had any experiences where you have really worshipped the Lord, the Lord has done a work in your life, and you say, I just wish that we could stay here forever. I just wish that I could capture this and I could keep it all the time. And what Jesus warns them against is, if you just worship, if you just praise, if you just do glory to God just for that purpose, then you missed it. Because he says, we're not going to set up tents. We're not going to set up houses. We're not going to camp here for a while. We've got to get back down to the people, to living out what you just seen. And one of the mistakes that we make as churches is we don't want to give up control so we don't experience the Lord. The second mistake that we make as Christians is when the Lord begins to work in our lives, we hoard it for ourselves. We store it up. We keep it. When true worship always leads to the third point, which is that we allow Him to live through us. I want you to see something real quick before we turn to another passage. It says in verse 7, A cloud appeared and a voice came and said, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. Now, I'm sure they were listening to Him before, but this probably confirmed that, okay, we're doing the right thing. Verse 8, Suddenly when they looked around, nobody was there except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matters to themselves. Verse 10, discussing what does he mean rising from the dead you would think this would give them clues later but even when jesus is crucified they forget it jesus gives them some more instructions but what i love is verse 14 immediately when they get to the other disciples there's a large crowd around them and jesus begins his healing ministry again one last turn john chapter 21 two books over the last of the four Gospels, the last chapter. Once you come into a relationship with Jesus by deciding to follow Him, saying yes to that challenge, once you come to a place where you realize that this Jesus that you're following is much greater and bigger than you ever imagined, and that the kingdom that He is giving, the kingdom that He is leading, is the most important thing that has ever been and will ever be, and that He wants you to be a part of helping Him to make that kingdom grow, of He wants you to be a part of spreading the word of the Lord. Then comes the last part when you just give him control of your life and let him live through you. Now from verse 9, or chapter 9 of Mark to John chapter 21, there's a whole lot that's happened, right? Man, there's a lot that's happened. Jesus went to a rock star kind of status where thousands of people are around him to a place where in a week's time he goes from being hailed as king to being crucified as a criminal. You know Peter's story. Peter says, 
at the Last Supper, Jesus, don't wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be part of my kingdom. Jesus, and then Peter says, well, Jesus, give me a bath. I want to be part of your kingdom. And Jesus says, and that's not what it's about. And then Jesus begins to say some stuff about, you know, I'm going to be betrayed and that I'm going to be given over. And Peter says, I will never leave you. Jesus, I will be with you even if they kill you, even if they do whatever to you. I will always be with you. Jesus is arrested. Peter makes good on his promise at the beginning, right? Takes out a sword. What does he do? Cuts off a dude's ear right there, right? Shocked when Jesus picks the ear up, puts it back on his face and says, Peter, don't do that. Peter follows Jesus at a distance. Give him credit for this. The other disciples seem to run. Peter follows at a distance close enough that he can kind of hear what's going on. But then in the moment of just a few hours, just as Jesus had predicted, Peter denies Jesus three times. What's interesting about Peter is throughout the Gospels, we see him say one ridiculous statement after another. And yet he seems not to be feel guilty about it the next time, right? But apparently the guilt over what he did racked him for days. When Jesus rises again from the dead in the book of Mark, which most people agree was written through kind of Peter. Peter, it says in Scripture, that when the angels say, or the, at the tomb they say, go tell the disciples... It says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter rushes in, sees that the Lord is risen, feels a little bit of relief. But the truth is that he carries that guilt with him until we get to John chapter 21. Chapter 21 at the beginning, and we're not going to read this, is the place where they have another miraculous catch of fish. And as soon as the catch is, comes up, it says in verse 11, Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish. And it says in a, that Simon basically jumped into the water when he realized what was happening. He says, it is the Lord. They go there, and then Jesus has got them a nice breakfast prepared. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, and there's some dispute over whether this happens among everybody or if this happens just with Jesus and Peter. But it says, Simon, son of, son of John, do you love me more than these? Saying, Peter, do you love me more than this fishing? Do you love me more than these people. Do you love me more than the disciples? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, do you, son of Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. The sign of Christian maturity is when you're fulfilling the task that God has given you. And I don't mean the job that you're working at, and I don't mean the career choice you've made. That may full well be part of God's plan. But when you are allowing God to work completely through your life, through the gifts and talents and abilities and personality that He has given you, then you understand what the fullness of that abundant life is. But until you get to the place where He is living through you, you have not yet reached maturity. I want to be real honest. 
that when you look at everything, all the statistics and and all of the research and, and all of the anecdotal evidence out there, when you look at typical church members, we've got a lot of church members who have never made the first commitment, that have never chosen to follow in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus. Like I said earlier, they're on the roll, they've been coming, they're doing stuff, but they've never in a personal encounter, accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you've got some in our church that have made that first commitment, a large some, that have made the first commitment but have never moved on to giving the Lord control and allowing themselves to truly experience the Lord in spirit and in truth and worship. And we have a very few that have actually moved on to that place where they're allowing God to live through them. You see, the point is that when you begin to take those steps, the farther along you go, the less control you have and the more uncomfortable it becomes for you. And right now in America, we have got a lot of comfortable Christians. And Scripture makes it abundantly clear that you cannot follow Jesus with your whole heart and be comfortable. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you allowing the Lord to live through you? Over the next few weeks, we're going to begin to talk about how the Lord has gifted each of us and how we're to use those gifts for the glory of God. But the question I have is, have you come to a place where you have said, Lord, this is not me, this is you. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It is Christ that lives within me. We know that verse, but few of us live that verse. And let me just ask you this morning, where you are, have you ever given your life to Jesus? Have you ever decided to follow Him? If you've done that, have you given up control and said, Lord, I want to worship you because of who you are and what you've done? And then if you've done that, Have you moved on to allowing Him and His agenda to control your life?